So today I want to say this, it's a disclaimer, a little one. It's a relatively short preach. But in the context of eternity, I don't know what short is, so we'll have to see. But I've asked Matt and Bethany, uh, uh, and Beth, if they're here. Oh, here we are. To come share something that they shared in the, um, in the prayer meeting. And I think it's powerful because it lines up with my sermon. Uh, it would be powerful even if it didn't line up with my sermon. Um, yeah, so Darren asked us last night if we would just share something um, and just pray about something and share during prayer this morning. So Beth and I had just kind of been listening to music and praying together last night and just thinking about what to share. Um, and we just kind of talked about overcoming and anxiety, which has been a big thing for us in the last little while with a lot of different things. So we kind of just were flipping through and came across Philippians 4, um, which is rejoice in the Lord always. I would say again, rejoice. Let your reasonable be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And it really just stood out to us that, um, you know, there's nothing to be anxious about and any anxieties we have, we just have to make the request. You know, it's, it's so easy to keep it internalized, but we just have to make the request. Um, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. So we just prayed about that this morning, about, you know, praying into anxieties and letting, letting our requests to God be known. Fantastic. So if you, if you wouldn't mind, Bethany, if you could pray, if, if you have some things that you're dealing with, you know, sometimes when I'm going through things and they get overwhelming, I just picture myself like writing a little note and putting it on my dad in heaven's lap. And uh, one of the translations of Jehovah Jireh and some, one of the um, uh, translations uh, where, where uh, Abraham is going to sacrifice his son and his son says to him, um, Father, I see... The, the wood and I feel the fire, see the fire but I don't see the sacrifice and he says this don't worry my son God will provide but in another translation and I love this one because I've seen it in my life don't worry my son God will see to it in his time and so uh, I'd love you just to open your hands it could be a loved one it could be a situation and I'm going to ask uh, Beth to pray over us Dear Lord, um, I just thank you so much for everybody in this room today, Lord, and I just pray that if there's anything, any stresses on these, these wonderful people's hearts, Lord, that you would just take that away right now, because that's not how you want us to live, Lord, and, and, and you want us to live freely, God, and, and come to you with anxiety and stress. So I just pray that you would lift off any heaviness or burdens from, from your people today, God. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. So the key to that was prayer. We're going to speak, uh, speak a little bit of that. You'll pick that up as we go in this message. But while I was away, lots of time to sit in the sun. I love the sun, as you can see. And uh, just meditate on, chew on some of God's treasures. And um, 
You know, often we can speed read the Bible. I love, by the way, Mark's series was amazing, eh? Eh? And Russ jumping up and down, what do you think of that? Yeah, it's just wonderful. But, um, you know, sometimes a, a passage will just pop out at you, and the best way to deal with it is just like a cow, just chew on it and chew on it and see what God is saying. And that passage to me was uh, 2 Chronicles seven thirteen to 15. We will get to that um, soon. And uh, believe it or not, uh, this year alone, I've had the privilege of being in Canada, being one of them, of being in three nations already this year. Um, and what got me really going on this is uh, I was in the United States uh, in the early year ministering in Los Angeles and then was in Haiti. Uh, I've been in Victoria with Trinity Church and, and uh, then we've been in Mexico on holiday and that's uh, just this year. Um, but one of the things we can see, I was actually in Deborah and I in New Zealand last year. It sounds like we travel a lot and do a lot, but we go where God calls us and this church grows and prospers. And they're not normally holidays. It was great to have a holiday. Um, for example, we can do up to 10, 15 um, messages in a couple of weeks in those nations. And we want them to come back. And I want to say this about Ken Grenfell. I love this guy. Um, I would trust him with my life. Him and I got saved around about the same time out of very out-of-control situations. And this guy loves God. And he loves the Holy Spirit. And he's one of the most anointed teachers that I have sat under. And him and I have traveled together and we, we preached together in different parts of the world. Uh, but that I've, I've sat under for many years. And so I don't want to set him up, but I'm going to say that um, this thing of freedom that he's going to speak on, is going to, I believe, is going to change not only your lives, but mine too. And um, I want to keep a little bit on the theme with children because it lines up with two chronicles um, when we get there. Uh, And in Matthew 18, uh, there's a conversation going on between the disciples. And I want to just tell you, if you think we have issues, these guys had some serious issues. Matthew 18, 1, 2, 3, and it when I always read of the disciples in the early days and, and see how they ended up and serving God so faithfully, it gives me hope for myself and every single one of us. They were definitely a work in progress. And uh, in, the, in Matthew 18, verse 1 to 3, it says this, at that time, and go and look in 17 at what that time was, because everything is in context. We just don't have time to go through all of that. And he says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They weren't thinking that it was Jesus. This was an ongoing argument between them. Who's the greatest? In fact, um, James and John's mom himself, himself went to Jesus one stage privately and says, Jesus... Can you do me, really do me a favor? When you're in heaven, can my sons sit on the left and right side of you in heaven? I mean, that's quite a big request. 
The problem with that request is Jesus is on the right-hand side of the Father, and the left is God. So God would have had to move out of his chair to do that. And you see how ridiculous this was. And we can see ourselves in these kind of scriptures. And he called a little child and placed a child amongst them. He doesn't, I love the way Jesus ministers. He, he, sometimes he did rebuke them, but most of the time he just used it as a teaching lesson. And we'll see as we look at uh, some of Peter's writings, the big transformation that happened in his life. And it says here, um, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like a little child, you will, that's a strong word, never. And never in the Greek or the Aramaic or the Hebrew means never. Enter the kingdom of God. Therefore, whoever humbles himself... Is, like this little child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus stated in no uncertain terms that humility comes before on, honor, and that humility is the gateway to, into the kingdom. And that uh, those who seek and demand honor for themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be honored. And we see this in Peter's writings at the end of his life. Peter's writing 1, 2, and 3, Peter, to a church under tremendous pressure. Persecution. He actually says this to the church scattered. Scattered because of persecution. And he brings us amazing, these amazing books to encourage them. In fact, in 1 Peter 1, I think, 9, he says that you're going through all of these issues, but you are receiving the goal of your faith. And then he says this, the goal of your faith is the salvation of your soul. The goal of our faith here is not necessarily a happy life, not necessarily thousands of dollars and the prosperity gospel come to Jesus and he will make you rich. That is, that is a lie. It's not true. He can and he will and he wants to bless us. But ultimately, what does it profit a man... Jesus says this, if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul. So the greatest blessing God has even given us is that he sent his son, he consent to die for us on the cross so that we could repent of our sins, acknowledge him as our Lord and Savior and spend eternity in heaven. I'm on my, off my notes again, but anyway, if we go on this line here, I just want to say that we have a birthday and we have a death date one day. And mine is maybe closer to some of you younger people. But anyway, in between those, if you go and look at a tombstone, there's a little dash. And that little dash is, the, is pretty much in the context of eternity, your life. And I remember this hearing from a man um, at a prayer breakfast. And he challenged us and said this, what are you doing with your dash? And that stuck with me. And so the goal of our faith is way greater than, than, than um, peace and prosperity here. And the goal of our faith is also this, that is we fear not, for I am with you, Isaiah 43. When you walk through the fires, he doesn't say he'll put them out. He says, I am with you. He walks us through the fires. When you walk through the floods, I'm with you. 
I've summoned you by name. And God is with us. And I cannot imagine some of the things that we've gone through as a family uh, and that you've gone through. What and how I could have ever done this journey without knowing Jesus is with me. And there are many people out there that don't have this relationship and they need to know about the love of Jesus. If I didn't know Jesus, I would more than likely be taking drugs and drinking alcohol and all of that because I would have no hope. Not even because I wanted to. I can't say I would have. I, could. I got saved at 24, thank God for that. But we have the answer, and the answer is Jesus Christ. And so he's, he writes us at the end of his life. Now, I'm looking at Matthew 18 and that. You know, Peter was the instigator and the, seemed to be able to, um, to corral the, the disciples. He, he looked like he definitely was one of the leaders of the twelve. For sure. And I can imagine that he may, in Matthew 18, because Peter being Peter, he may be started that conversation. So who do you think is the greatest? You know, he might have started that conversation. I don't know. But I want to read now. He's nearing the end of his life. He was um, crucified for his faith, for not denying Jesus Christ by Nero. And if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you will see that he was crucified and his wife. His wife traveled with him all over. Paul traveled alone. You can read the stories behind the stories. It's a wonderful thing. But they were, they were crucified together. And Peter said this. He said, I do not want to be crucified this way like my Lord Jesus. I want to be crucified upside down. I mean, it's just humbling even thinking that. And whether it's not in the Word of God, and, but it's in church history, and most people will agree that that was true. But we can see the transformation from Peter, this brash, I will never leave you, I will do this, into this humble shepherd and servant of God. And uh, he writes in 1 Peter 5, 1 to 6, he says this, To the elders amongst you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be re- revealed. Now he's talking to the pastoral team, the elders, and he says this, Be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Every single one of the elders that come on here, we go through these scriptures again and again, all the time. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. He's talking to the elders of the church, and, um, and then he turns and he says, In the same way, you youngers, submit yourselves to the elders. All of you, now he's talking to the whole group, including himself, should clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When we have pride in our hearts, I have this picture sometimes, and I've had it and it's, and in my life and all of that, and I feel, God, it's like you're not listening. He's just saying, speak to the hand. Until you deal with your stuff, I can't help you. And we come to him and we ask him for forgiveness and, re- and we repent. 
and he just pours out buckets and buckets and buckets of grace upon us. The Word of God says he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west in Psalm 103, and he chooses to remember it no more. God is not forgetful, but in his sovereignty, he, in the finished work of the cross, Mark spoke about this, it is finished. Our sin, past, present, and future was paid for. We need to repent of that because that's for our benefit. But at the end of the day, it goes into the sea of forgetfulness. There's always consequences for sin. If I steal something and, uh, and my friend Dave here catches me and, I, and I'm put in the jail, um, I can ask God for forgiveness in the jail, but I may still have to do some time. I can't blame God for that. That's a consequence of sin. That's why God doesn't want us to sin, because there's consequences. But when we do, it says if we confess our sin in 1 John 1, 9, He is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us from all unrighteousness. It's like I have this page full of, full of stuff that I've done, full, and that's God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and all of that. He says, don't worry, it's done. And the page looks like that. Gone. If you are always being reminded of your sin, it's not God. There's two voices that will speak into you, will try, and unfortunately, something, the, the louder voice is often the enemy, the devil, who will tell you, you're useless, you've done this, you don't deserve that, you can't do this anymore, how can you lead a church, how can you do that, all of this stuff. And I've been through all of that. And then there's the voice of the Father through the Holy Spirit, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, cast your burdens, burdens on me, for my yoke is easy, and my burden lies. The voice of the enemy always says, you've sinned, run away from God. The voice of God is like the father with the prodigal son. He's waiting for us to come home, and God wants to set us free because sin has consequences. He opposes the proud. He says, humble yourselves, yourselves therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on him. We heard that through the prayer, for he cares for you. You see, humility actually is a choice. And we can see the fruit of a humble person. And humble people are very attractive. You don't sometimes even know. They don't even have to be Christians. They don't have to be that. But there's a sense, man, there's something special about this person. You see, humble people, one of the things they do is spend much time in prayer and in the presence of God. Not because they have to, but because they see and acknowledge God's divine hand, his grace and providence at work in every area of their lives. They understand that God is the source and giver of all things. They understand that any greatness they achieve is not in them, but through them. And, because, uh, 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 and they understand that God is more responsible for their achievements than they are. I don't want to go back all the time, but it's only a new year. This church started in our basement in a home here when we moved from South Africa not knowing one Christian in the city. And every Sunday, and I'm not trying to be funny, I'm actually surprised people come. 
I'm amazed at what God has done. And it's not God chooses, chooses foolish people to do that. And I see, and I see these children, and I see what God's doing. And uh, we've stumbled along all the ways, but he pours out his grace, and he works through us. You see, they understand that the skills, talents, both natural and supernatural, are not their own, but gifts given them by God. I can try and skate as much as I want, and it's a bit too late to learn now, but I will never skate and play like Elias Patterson. I could sing as much as I want and practice guitar, but I can never play it like these people. They are grace gifts. They're gifts given by God, and we need to steward them well and understand, but for the favor of God and for the grace of God. They, go, I, they realize and recognize their absolute reliance on God in all things, including the salvation of their souls. And that, finally, to me, they have been blessed to be a blessing to others. They want to be conduits. God pour it in, God pour it out. God pour it in, God pour it out. We can never outgive God. Church, I promise you that. I promise you. We don't speak much about finances here. Uh, but I'm telling you this. You can never outgive God. It's impossible. God says, I will be no man's debtor. And so we can never outgive God with our love, with our serving and all of that. Yes, sometimes it gets tough, but he's going to say, I'm going to pour more grace and more grace and more grace. And I promise you, live with me for a week and you'll know how much grace I need <laughs> every day. You see, we see that God's, uh, uh, that they're blessed to be a blessing, that they have been called and anointed by God to bring hope Restoration and healing, not only to the people they love, but also to their neighbors and the nations. We see this intent, God's intent in the scriptures like this, Ephesians 3.10. If you want to know what God's plan is, God is in a divine partnership with us. I have no idea why he chose to use us to use any human. But in his sovereignty and in his mercy and his grace, he is in a divine partnership. He partners us. He does nothing in and through uh, in the church except through uh, us. And I'm saying even revival, we'll look at that, is because of praying people. And it says this, that, Ephesians 3, 10 to 11. His intent, this is God's intent in sending Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, we see the supremacy of Christ there too, and that Christ is the head of the church and we are the body. But his, his intent was this, that through the church, and the church is not a building, the church is the people, through you and I, can you believe it, that this was his intent, that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to all rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And he said, and this he did according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. He, um, Ephesians 1 starts that, that he chose us before the foundation of the world. He adopted us. Before the world was even created, God had a plan. The triune God 
had a plan for our redemption. And that's always been his intent, to work in and through the church. And that's why there's so much attack on the church. That's why there's so many, many things that go down. And we are frail people, but we need to humble ourselves and understand that God wants to work in us so that we can be, work through us. If I eat too much food and I get constipated, my body gets sick. We're the body of Christ. God wants to pour in and pour out. Blessed to be a blessing. And that brought me to this. And while I was in there, I'd just come out of Haiti and the rights uh, broke out. I don't know whether I would want it to be there or not, but I, I was feeling for those people and feeling for myself um, uh, who leads that church and all of that while sitting in Mexico. And uh, I managed to chat to him and I'm going to catch up with him now. Uh, last year we were in New Zealand and we just see what's happened in New Zealand. Crazy stuff. Uh, we see what's happening in our government. There's so many things going on. It's like when God says the nations are in an uproar. But we have the solution. It's through us. And 2 Chronicles 17, 13 and 15, to 15, it's just that, that I looked at and looked at. And the context of this scripture is the dedication of the first temple. Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. And if you read the first chapters before, there's a huge build-up as finances are given by people and, and, and the, the temple is built and they begin to worship and pray and the manifold Shekinah glory of God or manifold presence of God comes down in that temple. It was so thick in that temple that people fought, fell on the floor and they couldn't move. Not only that... As that was happening in the temple, in the city itself, the glory of God came and people going about the daily business, go and read it. Major revival fell on their faces on the pavement and began to worship God. God can change a nation in an instant. But he gives us a plan, and this is not only the only one's plans, and I hate when God, we box God into some kind of formula, but there are some truths here that we need to understand. And he says this, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, and send a plague upon my people, he says, If my people, we've just established who that is, who are called by my name will do these four things. First of all, humble themselves. Pray. We have corporate prayer Sunday night. We have pre-service prayer and it's individual prayer. And I don't want to, I don't push that too much because I don't want anybody to feel they need to come. I want people to get a revelation of that and we can grow in that. So it's a wonderful thing whether it's two or three or or a hundred, as long as we're all there because we want to pray and see God's kingdom come. And and so no heavies, people you sometimes even my leaders, they have kids and all of us they can't make it. I'm not there checking off a thing. I'm saying God, if we begin to do this come in a humility and we begin to start praying and interceding for our nation and the nations of the world. And we begin to seek his face and turn 
from our wicked ways. He's talking about my people. Let's just stop there for now. You see, what God is saying here is the solution to the healing of our nation is not physical. It's not a change of government. It's spiritual. It's a spiritual solution. Interesting how God put as an advisor to, to Pharaoh, and we could think who the Pharaoh of this day could be. He put Joseph. Joseph served him. Joseph honored him. And I bet you had an incredible impact on that man's life. Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they refused to compromise. But Daniel had the air of the most powerful man in the world. Humbly. I wasn't telling him what to do or whatever he was leading by example. I'm not going to bow down to this. I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to serve you. We can see it. Paul, in the, to the book of Rome, says, pray for those who are in, in authority so that you can live peaceful lives. Do you know who that person in authority was at that very stage? The most evil emperor that ever walked the earth, Nero. Who, when persecution broke out, slaughtered thousands of Christians, had Paul beheaded and and Peter and his wife crucified. Pray for him, God says. Pray for him. I don't fully understand it, but that's what God says. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our leaders in this nation. There's stuff going on. I'm telling you what, I wouldn't want that job for all the money in the world. I can barely lead a church. And I'm not saying right or wrong, but if we want to see transformation, it's not going to be, yes, we, can, we, can, we should vote with our conscience and for people that we feel God. I'm not into that. You'll never know what my politics are and all of that kind of thing because it really doesn't matter. It matters that righteousness will come and God righteousness can come on any person and anyone. You see, he's not addressing either the government or the media or the people out there. He's not addressing them. He's addressing his family, his people, the ones who have been called by his name. But if he left us there, it would be terrible. But he uh, he supplies a solution. If we will humble ourselves, pray both individual and corporate, and seek his face, and I put you, not his hand. Repent and turn from our wicked, uh, and repent and turn from our four things. That face and hand thing came to me many years ago. As a pastor, for a long time, I realized that most of my stuff was asking God. God, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do this? And can you? And God is gracious. But I felt, you know, no. God wants us to look in His face. He can provide, and we do give him, him, him those situations. And this is what he says, if we do those things, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sins. I will heal 
your land. And he says this, and he promises this, and my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. So what I want to do, Ken will be here, I would just look at what humility looks like. I've got pages and books and all of that, and I feel less um, (coughs) qualified to speak about it every time I look at it, but through the grace of God. We want to look at what what the power of prayer, how we can harness that in a way, how, what repentance looks like, and, and, and so on, and all of that. And I'm praying, because God says it, he will heal the land. I'm praying for the healing of this land. I want to see this land transformed. Do you know, the, one of the key scriptures is in the Psalms, I've forgotten, he shall have dominion from sea to sea. That's in the Peace Tower, I think it is. It's out there. He shall have dominion. There was a prophetic prayer by some Christian in that day that the dominion of Canada, it was called that for many years, the dominion, the dominion of God. And I'll tell you something else. This is freaky out. Um, I don't know whether I, I thought of it or somebody, I've been here 22 years. But when you look at the Canadian flag, there's two red parts, and that, to me, is a picture of the blood of Jesus. In the middle is white, the righteousness of God. And in the middle of the white part, there's three crowns on one leaf, the beautiful maple leaf, a picture of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Every time that flag flies, when you see this now, you see that. And we pray for the righteousness to begin in the church, in our lives, so it can spread out of there, out of here, the dominion of Canada. We want to see our nation rise up. We, if we want to see the nations of the world. And I'm asking us to look at ourselves and say, God, what purpose is it for me to have an opinion about somebody else and what they did from media, depending whether I lean left or right in what I read, totally contradicts. I know after (laughs) trying to land this now, but I'm thinking, church, we can do it. I know we can. And I know this nation is in God's hand. I know... Zimbabwe, where I was born, is in God's hand. I know South Africa is in God's hand, where I grew up. I know that New Zealand is in God's hand. America is in God's hand. And he is looking for a people in the nations. If my people will humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land. How many of you want to see Canada healed? Amen. Amen. Amen.